For the next two weeks, we're going to do a two-part teaching on becoming a generous church, becoming a generous church. And it is true that we can become generous. It's not just a quality that some people have and other people don't have. It's actually a quality of grace that is developed within people who want to apprentice themselves to Jesus Christ. It's available not only to individuals, but it's also available to an entire group of people that God has called together. When he calls his body together, he calls them to grow up into the quality of generosity. So this isn't just a luxury for people who have extra time to invest, people who have extra money to invest, people who have extra energy to invest. Generosity is a quality that God can put deep inside of us. And this is why Paul, who was a teacher and a leader in the first century, wrote this book. He wrote a book that we call 2 Corinthians, but it was really just a letter to a messy church plant in urban Corinth. And he, he was writing to a very talented, articulate, knowledgeable, uh, young church that had a lot of incredible qualities, um, and, but he wanted to encourage them, among other things, to grow in the quality of generosity. This is why he says to them in, in the first, little, what we call a verse, it's just the first kind of sentence of this part of the letter. He says, we want you to know, brothers... And we can infer brothers and sisters. He's writing to the whole church. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, the churches in Macedonia were about 300 miles to the north of the church in Corinth. And there's a whole cluster of churches in like Berea and Thessalonica um, and Philippi. About 300 miles to the north. And they were dirt poor churches. They had almost no money. They had to deal with famine and persecution, all kinds of like economically devastating realities. And yet the Lord had done something miraculous in their congregation and beyond their congregation. They had the quality of generosity. It was a gift. It was a grace of God given to them. And Paul says, hey, Corinth, you're not the Macedonian churches, but I want you to grow in the quality of generosity that God has given to them. I want you to grow in this quality as well. says in verse 7, but as you excel in everything, now he's talking to the Corinthians again. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in your love for us, is the best translation there, in your love for us, see that you would excel in this act of grace also. So Paul says, hey, look, Corinth, you're articulate. You, you know lots of stuff about God. You're affectionate. You love us. You love God. You're earnest. There's like all kinds of of great intentions that you have. There's so much good about you, but, but I want you to become a generous church just like the Macedonian churches. I want you to grow in this grace as well. Paul had hope for them. So he's like, don't just admire these Macedonian churches. Don't just admire Berea. Don't just admire Philippi. Don't just know about them, but become like them. Not just becoming like them, but becoming like Jesus Christ. Because the same grace of God that was given to the Macedonian churches, that same like, gift that was just poured out on all those churches is ready to be poured out on you, my dear Corinth. It's ready to be poured out on you. Even though you don't have this quality yet, you're called to develop it. 
So whether you're here and maybe you're a skeptic of Christianity and you consider yourself just maybe you're, maybe you're atheist, maybe you're of a different religion altogether, or maybe you are a committed Christian, uh, or maybe you're somewhere in between those two things, wherever you may be, I want to tell you that you can grow in generosity as well. And I'd say, like, if you're an evidence-based person, you could even try this process out and see if it works. Because many of us want to become generous. We don't necessarily uh, uh, want to impoverish ourselves, but we want to become a generous person. We want to be one of those people that's just like, man, you admire them for how much of their life they give to others without expectation of return. We don't want to be miserly people. So this is available to you. This generosity that we're going to talk about is available to you. It's also available to our church. As, as a church, as, a body of, as the body of Christ, we can grow in this quality as well. We can become like the Macedonian churches, and we, be, we can become like Jesus Christ. The generosity of God can flow through us as a congregation. So what's the process? How do we become generous people? Let's say you're miserly, and, and you're not giving anything away, and everything flows to you. How do you become the kind of person who naturally and freely is generous to other people? There's a pathway laid out in uh, this letter. It goes like this. Number one, find an example. Number two, devote yourself to the Lord. And number three, practice what you've seen. So you find an example, someone who can give you a, a living vision of what it looks like to be generous. And you all probably know somebody or even a group of people who have this quality about them. You're like, wow, they are just a really generous person. We need that example. We need examples of generosity. Number two, in response to that, the second response is really crucial, is that we devote ourselves to it. We go, I want that. I want what I see in my own life. And, and we devote ourselves to the Lord and we say, make me like what I've seen. Make me like what I've heard about. And then finally, there's the practices. We imitate what we see. We begin to put into practice what we see. So it's vision, and then it's devotion, and then it's imitation. So let's look at the first one, finding an example, finding an example of a generous person. Abstractions don't inspire us to generosity. Numbers don't even inspire us to generosity. When we see actual people making actual sacrifices to, for the good of others, it's inspiring, especially when we experience it, when we see someone who has given of their own life, maybe they've hosted us for dinner, made space, and maybe they've said, hey, you take this guest room, stay as long as you want. When that generosity is extended to us, it's very inspiring. Abstractions cannot inspire us like living people can. So that's where we need to begin. Um, Paul talks about these Macedonian churches. They're dirt poor churches that were very generous. And let's read what he says about them in verse two. Um, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now let's look very carefully at what Paul says here. He refers to the fact that they had an abundance of joy, and they had extreme poverty. 
They had nothing because they were poor. And yet they had everything because they had Jesus. Maybe you've met someone like this before. They were almost destitute, and yet they were overflowing with joy. They knew that because of Jesus, all of their sins had been forgiven. Because of the generosity of the Father, they had nothing to worry about. They knew that God would supply all of their needs. And they had nothing to lose. They were, in some ways, happily free from the attachments that ensnare so much of us, things that we feel that we, ha- that we must have. You know, the churches in, in, in Macedonia, they were like, we have a lot of joy even though we don't have very much. And a lot of us, we don't, we don't believe this can happen unless we see it. And Paul saw it, and he wanted the Corinthians to see it as well. It was almost like the Macedonian churches, you know, they had an underground current, an underground river of the life of God flowing through them. They were completely satisfied in all of the ways that God had, been, uh, God had given gifts to them. He had given them so much, and they were just overflowing with joy, and yet they had nothing. They were overflowing with joy, and yet they were poor. And then something interesting happened. Paul said that in a severe test of affliction. So you have this joy and poverty going together, and then all of a sudden, there's a, there's a severe test of affliction that comes down upon all those churches. They weren't just poor, they were tested. He doesn't say what this test was. It may have been a famine that came through. Um, it may have been a wave of, of, of uh, Roman persecution that came through. But they were put to the test, and when you're put to the test, whatever's in the tube is gonna come out. When you get squeezed, and they got squeezed, and what came out? What came out of this, when, when you pierced this, 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 this ground underneath which is joy and poverty. What came out was this geyser, this geyser of joy overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Because apparently at the same time that they were being tested, they also heard about the testing that was happening in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem. Maybe they were experiencing uh, famine. Maybe they were experiencing persecution. But they were like, wait, another church is suffering? Oh my goodness, we we gotta contribute to their needs. They're hungry. Oh, we know what that's like. And, and Paul, even, he says in verse 3, they, they gave beyond, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, even beyond their means of their own accord. It was their own idea, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief to the saints. They were like, Paul, please, 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 let us give to the saints in Jerusalem. We, we want to meet their needs. And Paul's like, guys, guys, come on. Let's be, re- I mean, let's be reasonable here. I know this is more than you can afford. I know your life. I've stayed at your houses. I, I planted these churches. I know what you have. Guys, there's other people that can handle this. They're like, don't deny us. Don't deny us the opportunity of being there for the saints in Jerusalem. We know the Father will provide our needs. We, we know we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And so they gave and they gave and they gave. One scholar notes that for uh, many early Christians, for them to be this generous, a couple of different things might have to happen. Number one, you had a lot of, uh, of uh, servants, a lot of slaves who, had, uh, who were bonded to their master as long as uh, they could pay it off. If they paid it off, then they could be free. 
So it's like one of those things they were, they were like in debt to their master. They were, they were not only paying off the debt with their labor, but they were also saving very, very carefully so that one day they would be able to buy their freedom. And so for many, for many Christians in, in, in first century uh, Roman Empire, for them to be this generous, they would have to dip into that savings account and say, I choose to be an indentured servant for a year longer than I would otherwise. I choose to, to, to wear this shackle for, for two years more. Why? Out of guilt? No. Not to earn God's favor either. But for the absolute privilege of overflowing with the grace of God that has found me overflowing for other people. What an example. Another thing would have to happen. If you were going to be as poor as you would be as a Christian in first century Rome, is that you would go hungry so that you could feed other people. And I have no doubt that the churches in Macedonia were, they probably had prayer and fasting days. They at least fasted from food because when you, food was very expensive, cost many, many, many multiple times over that it costs today here in the U.S. They would fast from food for the privilege of feeding their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The Macedonian churches, they were dirt poor and yet they were overflowing, overflowing with joy. And then when they were tested, their generosity shot out like water from the ground, aimed at the churches in Jerusalem, aimed at the Christians in Jerusalem, begging Paul, do not, let, do not deny us the absolute privilege of overflowing to our sisters and our brothers who are suffering. Uh, the first, well, I had a couple of friends. Laura and I had some close friends in, in Washington, D.C. And they had been through a lot in the time that we were friends with them. They had undergone many medical treatments and had dealt with a lot of hospital bills and had suffered quite a bit. And when they found out that we were moving to Chicago to plant Emanuel Anglican Church, I got a card from my friend and, uh, and I opened the card, and he just said, I believe, I believe in what God's doing in Chicago. I believe in God's call there. I'm so proud of you for taking that step. And in that note from my friend was the first ever check that our church ever received for $500. I was blown away by the generosity of my suffering, generous friend that was extending to our church the first act of financial generosity. This example changed the way that I looked at generosity, as have the incredible examples that I've seen in the five years since I opened that letter. But the ultimate example of generosity, the ultimate vision is given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse nine, Paul says this, for you know, Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now notice that it's for our sake that he became poor. It was for our sake that he cast aside all of the privileges and the glory that he had at his father's right hand. 
We could even imagine the conversation between Jesus and the Father before Jesus came to earth and took on human flesh. Father, look at the Corinthian churches. Father, look at the Chicago churches. Father, look at all the people who, who, who will never, ever be at your right hand unless I take aside my glory and I take on their flesh. I need to do it for their sake. I need to cast aside everything that I, everything that I have, every privilege that I have, and every honor that I have. I actually need to, to lay aside not only my heavenly glory, I need to lay aside my life. I need to lay aside this intimacy that I have with you, this life that I have at your right hand. The Father responding to Jesus, yes, yes, you do. And sending him, sending his own son out of act, an act of generosity. We can even imagine Jesus laying aside every privilege that he had as he went and he taught and, and he ministered among the people of Galilee, laying down his life for them one day at a time. And then his robe being stripped uh, from him, a crown of thorns being placed on his side, blood coming from him generously for our sake. He's laying aside anything that he would lay, uh, be able to lay hold of. He gives up everything and he gives and he gives and he gives for our sake until he impoverished himself in giving out of love for us, out of love for the Corinthians, out of love for the Macedonians. He impoverished himself out of love for our sake to make us wealthy in God, to give us everything we needed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is Jesus's generosity to us, and it is the ultimate vision that we need. If we are going to grow in generosity, we have to look at the ultimate generous man and say, yes, Yes, I want that. The grace of God that was given to us in Christ. For our sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Who has shown you generosity? Who has taken this example of Jesus and lived it out right here in Uptown? They've lived it out right here in Chicago. Have they lived it out in your life? Who are the examples of people who from their very act of living, the way they live, is the way that you want to live too. That's where becoming generous begins, begins with vision. If our hearts don't see an example, we'll get stuck. And some of us have a wound. No one's taken us aside and said, you know what? Here's the grace that the Lord Jesus has given me. I want to show you what it looks like in real life. Some of us are missing that example. We actually need to begin to pray for a living, embodied examples of generosity. Someone who will open their lives to us and show us how they do it. Maybe the first place to start in this is just over your lunch uh, conversations today. You begin to share who's been generous to you over the course of your life. When you were a kid, when you were in college, where you're at right now, who is in a living example of generosity to you? Who's your example of a Macedonian Christian? They've got joy and they've got poverty and that overflows when they're tested. That overflows into generosity. Find an example. Number two. After we found an example, the second step in becoming generous is devoting yourself to the Lord. Devoting yourself to the Lord. It's our first response to the grace of God. It's the first act of overflow to the grace of God. Paul says in verse 5, so in this, their generosity, not as we expected, they were, they were way, way beyond our expectations, but they, these poor Macedonian Christians, they gave themselves first to the Lord 
And then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This word give, it's the same word in verse five, the grace of God that was given them. In response, the Macedonian Christians said, okay, in the response to this generosity, we are going to give ourselves. We're going to give our life. We're going to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take everything. Take my moments. Take my days. It's not just, going, it's not just cutting a check. It's not just volunteering for an hour. It, your, whole life is, your whole life is entrusted to the Father. Your whole life. So it's giving of ourselves. It's not just giving of one part of ourselves. This is a necessary move in the direction of generosity. When we see the grace of God, we see the example, and we say that, I want that, God. I want that example for myself. Whatever, whatever generosity I've seen, I say yes to it with my whole life. And we, we lift up our whole hearts to the Lord and say, yes, this is for me. I choose this vision. Now, this is a tough thing for us to do, for us to, like the Macedonians, give ourselves first to the Lord and then to others. It's where a lot of us get stuck. It's worth asking the question, what is keeping us from this profound yes? What is keeping us from this profound devotion? What is keeping us from entrusting our whole life to the Lord? Maybe deep down, we trust the time we would give away too much. We trust the energy that we could manage for ourselves too much. We trust the resources and the money that we have too much to deliver us happiness and security. We are genuinely afraid of if we gave it away, we're giving away our security. We're giving away, um, we're giving away our very life. Maybe we have hangups or suspicions. Maybe we have beliefs that we haven't maybe even articulated to ourselves about what might happen to us um, uh, if we're too generous with our time, our money, or our energy. It could be that we don't have yet a vision of a generous God. We don't see God as generous. We see him as miserly, only doling out little bits of life to us in response to us being good. And so maybe that has gotten inside of us as well. So um, our devotion, if we're in that spot, might come in the form of a confession. Lord, here's the part of me that is not on board with being generous. I want to trust you by giving to you the part of me that is resisting this vision that I see in Jesus, this vision, this example that I'm seeing in the Macedonian churches or in people that we know that are generous. It's confessing tight-fisted attitudes. It's confessing suspicions or resentments that we've been harboring. Becoming a generous church begins with a vision of generosity, a living example. Then it moves to devotion, a wholehearted yes to God, a wholehearted yes, I want this, and I choose this, and I give myself to God. And then finally, we move to imitation, imitating what we've seen. This is practicing uh, the, the, the disciplines of generosity. Now, some of us know piano. We're, so, we're just great at, um, we're, we can beautifully play the piano. If I said, come on down and play the piano, there it is, you'd be able to just tickle the ivories. And uh, effortlessly and freely. And how did you become the kind of person who could do that? 
Well, you've, you practiced. Maybe you had some, some natural talent. That talent was developed over time. Day in, day out, practices, whether you felt like it or not. The same is true for, for those of you who, who are really skilled in a sport. Soccer, baseball, basketball, hockey, lacrosse. You practiced. <laughs> Every day when you didn't feel like it. How did you become so good at your job? How, do, how did you become the kind of person who could show up and add lots of value to your organization? It's because you practiced, because you learned, even when you didn't feel like it. And this is um, the third move in the direction of generosity. It's imitating what we've seen, becoming like the Macedonians, acting like the Macedonians, even though we don't feel like the Macedonians yet. Paul says um, in verse 6, and seven, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. To complete among you, the Corinthians, this act of grace. Hey, Corinth, you started practicing and then something stalled out. Natural thing to happen. We stall out in passing on the generosity and the grace of God. Verse seven, but as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and earnestness, See that you excel in this act of grace also. And then Paul says, hey, start with where you're at. Don't just complete the act of grace. Start with where you're at. Verse 10, look with me in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, so now finish it. Finish what you've started. Finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it Okay, your devotion, your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Don't just be ready to be generous. Complete the act of generosity. For if the readiness is, is there, he says in verse 12, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, if you want to become a generous church, a generous person, that not only are you called to consider the example of generosity, follow through, starting with where you are, and practice what you've seen. So maybe someone has hosted you at their home, and it was this incredible act of grace for them to open their life to you. Maybe the place where you start is you find a night in, uh, in, your, in your calendar in the next month, and you block it out, and you open your space, maybe even the space is just you treating someone for lunch. And you say, I'm going to practice what I have received because that is the way that I become like, that is the way that I finish the work that the Lord has started in me. Imitation is training. It's training. It's training in grace. And it's training that not only does it shape our, our, um, our hearts, although it does shape our hearts, um, it, it makes more grace in our lives for God to flow through us. It shapes our habits. It shapes our time. It shapes our energy. It shapes our pocketbooks. And over time, naturally and freely, we become the kind of people who extend the grace of God, extend the generosity of God to everyone that we see to, as, as the Lord uh, makes available. So generosity is scalable. 
We don't need to look at the example of the Macedonian Christians or especially generous Christians and go, oh, I'll never, ever get there. It's scalable according to what we have, not according to what we, what we do not have. I am truly blown away. It's been a process and a journey for me over the last five years to actually see the generosity of God working through his people. It's incredible um, what happens in, a, in the process of planting a church. Sometimes people think that church planting is this process um, where extraordinary gifted people demonstrate their value by doing something amazing. And that's not true at all. Church planting is not built on, on, uh, on giftedness. Church planting is built upon the sacrifices of the saints. And this church is a fountainhead only because of the loving sacrifices of the saints. I have seen so many of you pour out your time and your efforts and your love, your whole life, out of love for Jesus so that this church could thrive, so that this church could be a living witness to the Son of God right here in the city of Chicago. And it has so profoundly impacted me. I want to say thank you. I want to take this opportunity to just say it blesses me. In so many ways, Emmanuel is a generous church. And your generosity has impacted me like the Macedonian example had so impacted Paul. It wasn't just our friends in D.C. It's our family, our spiritual family, right here in Chicago. I've seen it at Emmanuel. I've seen it at many of the other churches that have supported us, like Holy Trinity Church, the Painted Door, Park Community Church, and many others that have given freely for the work of Christ right here at Emmanuel. So I want to say thank you. I think of this Kiva as a place where joy and poverty do flow together. Where joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy of being in Christ, the joy of the gospel, as well as genuine poverty do flow together. It's not the easiest thing in the world to live in Chicago, is it? To make your way here, to go to school here, to, to raise your family here. It's not, e- it's not easy to be a part of a church plant either. There's a lot of needs And yet again and again, I have seen you pour out your life and pour out, not out of guilt, but out of love for Jesus Christ. This has been a place of joy. This has been a place of not only poverty, but also joy. And when you're tested, as we are all tested, I've seen that testing turn into generosity. And I can't wait to share with you uh, after our service today what form that's taken even this year for Middle Eastern refugees and others. So... Growing in generosity, what does that mean? It starts with vision. It starts with an example. Do you have an example? Find an example. Pray for an example. Look for an example. Start with the Macedonians. Start with Jesus. And then it moves to devotion. Yes, Lord, I want that. I give myself to you. Like Jesus offered up his body to the Lord, and it was broken, it was accepted, it was a sacrifice, it was everything. We say yes to this vision, devotion, and then imitation. What are the next steps that we can begin to take, starting with where we have, starting with the life we have, starting with what God has given us? What has God given you to pass on to others? And over time, we will see that generosity is truly a gift from the living God, not just for Macedonia, not just for Paul or Corinth, but for Emmanuel Anglican Church and for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.